The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with The Plant Profits. Powered by Protus Global. Hello, everyone. I'm Vern Davis. I am your host of Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. Hey, my next guest is a pioneering investor and executive in the cannabis and hemp CBD space. Since 2014, she has made numerous successful investments and uh, been a member of the executive team at Bloom Farms a rapidly expanding premium California cannabis and national hemp CBD brand. I want you all to welcome Sally Nichols. Sally is an entrepreneur. She co-founded Girl Ventures, and she's the president of all Bloom Farms and distribution president Bloom Farms Wellness. So Sally, welcome to Plant Profits. How are you today? Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. And thank you so much, Vernon, for having me. This is exciting. Uh, well, we, we couldn't do this show without eventually having you on. You know, we had to do that. Uh-huh. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Well, it's great. Thank you for, for joining us and, and looking forward to having this chat with you and, and really kind of understand where are you sitting today? Where are you today? Uh, right now I'm in New York and um for uh, you know, for the majority of the pandemic, actually, for all the pandemic, I've been I've been back here in New York. Um, prior to that, being that Bloom Farms is a California-based company, I was that's right by coastal. And for 27 years, I was headquartered in LA, with traveled to New York, and then during the pandemic, just kind of switched it. And now I'm 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 pretty much centered here in New York, and I love it. Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, what a great place to be in New York. But yeah, that's a lot of travel. You're, you're bi-coastal as you, uh, um, as you say. Now, you grew up in New York? I did. So coming back here was like going home. Um, <laughs> I, and actually, like, it's not even just that I grew up here. It's, yeah. I'm like a, I mean, seven generations of, of my, you know, <laughs> dynamic family, you know, it's kind of lived, lived in this area um, on the East Coast. And, you know, they ranged from being entrepreneurs to bootleggers to academics. And um, so there's a kind of, it was interesting to yeah. you know, be raised around that leave for a while and go to California, which is in, in many ways, like going to kind of another country and, and then coming back again. Uh, yeah. That's what I do. No, that's great. Yeah. So Sally, let's talk about, um, your interesting family, some of the uh, entrepreneurial adventures that that occurred uh, in the in the Nichols group. So tell tell me a little bit about that. Well, so there's there's two sides to the the Nichols. Nichols is um, Nichols is my married name, so my maiden okay. name is Parker. Okay. Parker side of the family, you know that that whole my my maiden side of the family is pretty interesting. I mean, they're all entrepreneurs on some level. Some of them were more above board entrepreneurs than another. Where you've got bootleggers, and then you've got uh, you've got um, uh, you know professors and telecommunications people. And then on on the the married side, um, we have uh, entrepreneurs also in the shoe business. Oh, okay. So my my uh, my father-in-law um, is an incredible uh, entrepreneur. 
and started K-Swiss. Actually, actually the, the family purchased K-Swiss back in the 80s and, um, and then built it and grew it and took it public. And I mean, just an incredible kind of modern entrepreneurial experience where, you know, you're able to, you know, grow something from $11 million, take it public, grow it, nurture it, bring in the right resources, expand it across the country and turn it into a billion dollar business. And it's pretty foundational when you kind of, when you kind of are, are, are raised in and living around that kind of uh, thinking and, um, and just ethos, right? Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps some people starting from, you know, an organic spot, but yeah. Yeah. That had to be a tremendous education. Just, just being you. I mean, I don't know. I feel like everyone <laughs> has a great, everyone's them and everyone's got an amazing story. Um, you know, I, I'm a, being being a bi-coastal, I spend a lot of time in the airplane and I always make a point of talking to the people next to me. And you just you just really never know who's sitting next to you and what story they have and what they're totally. willing to overcome. And especially when you look in cannabis, right? I mean, when we look inside Bloom Farms and we look at the people that work for the company and what they've overcome um, at a young age um, and, and committed to do working in the cannabis business, it's amazing. Right. You know, we have... You know, I would say that we have more than 50% of our executives are female. Um, we have, um, you know, a, a tremendous amount of diversity, both age and thinking and ethnicity in the company. And everybody in that company has a story, not of just where they come from, their origin story, but why they decided to get into cannabis. You know, what, right. what, what fueled their transition into what I think in many ways is a renaissance. No, absolutely. And I, I think that's a very healthy way to look at the world. Um, you, yeah. you, if you look at the world that way, you, you instantaneously, uh, you give, you give respect to an individual, right. For, for who they are, or just knowing the fact that they do have a story and it'd be interesting to uh, kind of understand that. So I think that is great. What, what leads you over to the West coast? early in your life. You went to um, USC, you chose USC to go to school. You grew up on the on the East Coast, a lot of schools over there. Why California? Very unusual decision. Yeah. Very unusual decision at the time. I mean, not to date myself, but I graduated from from, you know, from high school in 1987 and everybody yeah. was going to schools, mostly local, some ventured, you know, most were going to like kind of small liberal arts colleges. Sure. Um, Coast, going to Ivy League schools, going to Little Ivies, going to the Midwest. And, you know, I guess, you know, at some point I just looked at the world and said, I've got, I've got four years for two mm -hmm. forms of education. Right. One form of education is going to happen in the classroom and the other is going to happen outside. And I really wanted that next four years of my life to include a cultural education and to see and experience something completely different. Now, wow. That's a very adult concept that 18 years old or 17, whenever you were going through that process. Well, when you grow up in New York, you're kind of raised to believe that like New York is the center of the world, right? right? It's pretty, it's, you know, it's a pretty kind of obtuse way to look at the world, but because you've got Wall Street and you've got fashion, mm -hmm. culture and art and music and everything, you know, is just bubbling in New York City, you kind of feel like, well, this is the center of the world, isn't it? But it actually isn't, you know? And I was incredibly curious about a really different way of life and short of living in another country, like actually leaving the borders and going someplace else, California to me was another country. And at that time, sure. I had never been to California. I had never stepped foot on USC campus. I had no idea. I just knew that it was the right place for me. And I knew that it was time 
it was time for me to mm -hmm. see different people, a different way of life, a different environment, most importantly, a completely different culture. And I absolutely found it. And That's I'm great. Because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it got you into, you know, early in your life doing some things. So you went out of USC and you got into the media business immediately? Yeah, well, so now I was living in New York. I was involved in, in I was interning and working in media, like dating back to okay. 15 and 14 years old, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, there was a, you know, I mean, it started, if I'm being totally honest, it started doing like television commercials and print ads and stuff like that. And then I realized like, I didn't really want to be, I didn't really want to be um, visual in media. I wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to be telling stories. I wanted to be shaping culture. Sure. I wanted to be involved in news and art. And that's where, you know, the, the segue into MTV came in. I mean, I was, I was 17 years old, you know, working in MTV at the time where MTV was only videos. And we were the first group of people. I remember. Yeah. Like, hey, let's yeah. make a program. Let's yep. do Yo! MTV Raps and show that whole world. Let's do House of Style. Like, we're in New York. Right. Let's Let's tie music, fashion, art mm -hmm. together. And then, you know, when you look at where we are now in cannabis, there's something really similar there too, right? Cannabis fuels creativity for many people. And it is also that kind of intersection of art and culture and music and expression. So sure. that started, you know, the MTV thing. And then I went on to college and I worked at Interview Magazine. And I, you know, I love, I love storytelling. Um, but I will say that, like, while at USC, one class changed my life. Okay. And one professor changed my life. And I can say that without a doubt. There isn't even a hesitation. Professor Stephen Lammy taught a class in international relations. And it was the first time that anyone introduced me to the concept of decision making and life being framed by economics, politics, social agendas, and the individual actor. Mm -hmm. All four of those things come together. You know, the individual actor working in a local, you know, working in his environment, having to make decisions with his own motivations. Um, you, you, you realize how complex the world is and how hard it is. Um, well, how easy change happens, how hard change happens, how embedded things can be, but also how flexible they are. And so we, I spent, I decided to commit to foreign policy and international relations. And that's how I ended up at CNN. But when, again, I keep segueing back to cannabis because it's so foundational for me. Um, I, cannabis at its heart is a cultural, economic, and social movement. I don't know in any other industry that started as a social, economic, and cultural movement. And it is- That's a very interesting point, Sally. I, I really, that, that's a very interesting point because I can't, I can't recall one either that is uh, equal to that especially in, in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about like disruptive industries and they look right. at high tech and stuff. And yeah, high tech is disruptive because it changed the way we did things and how we interacted and all of that. But it, its origin wasn't a social cultural movement and an economic movement. I mean, you have the economy that cannabis brings to the table as a legal industry. You have the economy that it was fueling as a legacy slash illicit industry. You have the culture that, that was driven on both sides of that uh, legacy and, and, and legal. And you have you know the incarceration and the downside of all of that. I mean, the decision to, le the, to push to legalize cannabis comes from every single direction. And I don't, I don't know that, 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 that high tech can say that. I don't know that Bitcoin can say that. I don't know that 
cryptocurrency can say that. This is a movement. Um, right. I, I think I think high tech would would have the best argument. Yeah, uh, they would definitely have the best argument. But we're going to dive into you, the entrepreneur. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits and Plant Profits is fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. My guest today is Sally Nichols of Bloom Farms. We'll be right back. Thanks. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. The Plant Profits are back to lead the pursuit of the promised land of plant profit. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, well, welcome back. I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits. And my guest today is Sally Nichols, who's the president of Bloom Farms. Uh, Sally's very uh, full and interesting past. And uh, Sally, you're amazing to, to have this conversation with. But, you know, you had entrepreneurialism we've established all around you, which is awesome. And at some point you decided to, to be an entrepreneur and you had some very interesting early adventures into that space. And why don't we talk about some of them, right? Like Earth Spirit. Now, there may have been something before that, but tell me about that and how you got into that and how that became your jam. Well, so, um, you know, I, I guess I realized at an early age that, you know, one of my strengths was building kind of something out of nothing, right? Having an idea and turning it into something, creating momentum, yeah. taking the first step, creating momentum, uh, finding the right people around me and making stuff happen. And, you know, when I when I was graduating, while I was at USC, um, I started a, um, I actually technically co-founded a nonprofit organization that started recycling on campus. I mean, and it, okay. was really just, it really just started with like, hey, you know, the individual action matters. You know, one, one, one can, one bottle, one hug, one nice gesture, pay it forward. Like one action really matters and can impact. And if everybody took a similar action, you know, we would have, you know, a cleaner planet. We'd have, you know, we'd have, um, you know, uh, more ease in our day. We'd have more mm -hmm. compassion, whatever the analogy is. So I started it on campus. And then when I graduated, I realized that, you know, we just really didn't want this to stop. I thought that there was, you know, a lot of momentum in environmental education and, and in changing, um, just kind of changing the way we thought about our connection to nature and the world and our, our, our human opportunity. And so I took that uh, that nonprofit organization, and with the original founders, wrote a grant, and um, you know raised over a million dollars. I think I was like I don't know, I was 20, 22, 23. Mm -hmm. and that became the conversion of Earth Spirit from a campus organization to the first children's education organization, environmental organization in California, which then evolved into the first online education organization. And th this is back when that's you know, awesome. Yeah, yeah. it was a great story. Yeah. So, um, so you know, that actually started the history, my, my kind of trajectory into, I guess, starting things 
starting things before they were even considered trends, right? So online anything wasn't really a trend yet. As I said, AOL was bigger than, I mean, CompuServe was bigger than AOL. So we're talking like the infancy of things. And we went to places like Apple Computer and IBM and we said, hey, we're gonna build a children's education network. And we want some money for computers because we think kids are gonna be the future drivers of technology. Wow. And they're like, you're right. Yeah, they're not. No kids are going to buy a kid a computer. They're so expensive. No kids are going to use that. And, you know, we pursued and we persisted and we persisted. And sure enough, you know, we, you know, very quickly had the largest online and only online education network for kids. And it, it became the foundation principles for Disney Online. And we had partnered with Disney and a couple of other big corporations. And they're looking at these high school and college graduates going like, I think you guys are onto something. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of led to the next entrepreneurial venture, which which became really largely the internet, internet content, internet advertising, which was super, super early. You know, we did the first online advertisement for Honda Mag, you know, for Honda automobiles, the first moving ads. And it just kind of like pyramided from there, then started working in gaming, you know, developed a, you know, a, a, a game engine that we then eventually um, sold to Car and Driver. And I just really loved being early into change and it wasn't called a disruptive industry then they weren't called disruptive technologies it was just called innovation and evolution right so that that kind of you know uh created the foundation for a whole range of startups and 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 exits in in the high-tech space before it was called high-tech um you know along alongside that i married uh, david nichols and that kind of whole case swiss journey began right with, you know um uh, you know what what was what is or was at the time a super respected cult shoe brand called cases which was worth maybe about 11 or 12 million dollars that was purchased um, by the family and built and grew into a global shoe lifestyle brand and so you know here i am doing startups and starting things from scratch and building and exiting on one side and here on the other side of the family we have this like you know, we have this 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 growing public company, and just looking at the difference between the two trajectories, right? All the performance metrics and and the governance around a public company, sure, and and the hierarchies and responsibilities and departmental stuff and segmentation of employees and and roles and responsibilities, but yet with a startup, everyone's kind of doing everything. So it was like it was a beautiful dichotomy. I probably couldn't have planned it better, but I think it innate it made my startup world better because I had those lenses, right? I could right. pause and say, hey, wait, we can be more organized and we can be more disciplined in what we're doing and how we're doing it. And we can, even though we're a startup, we can apply some of the kind of tried and true principles of growing a business to kind of a fledgling idea. And so, um, you know, I mean, that, that, that kind of the ability to flip-flop back and forth between those two worlds has also been incredibly beneficial um, as I kind of moved into cannabis. No, that, you know, it's kind of interesting that you lived in that economy, you lived that world, you know, uh, what an experience to see both worlds at the same time, every day you, you exist, right? You, you wake up, you're doing all these crazy things in your business and you, uh, and you see that and you see this more organized chaos right. in this other world, because right. it is still chaos, but it's more organized, right? Yeah. 
And I'll also say like, you know, my, my, my father-in-law, Stephen Nichols, it has yeah. been like just an incredible, an incredible um, kind of visionary on how to, you know, on how to shape some of the things that we're doing in cannabis has really like pushed me and, and us um, to, you know, to, to not, to not look at the world and say, well, this is cannabis. It's different. We can't do these things in cannabis. He's like, yeah, it's kind of like a bullshit answer. Yes, you can. <laughs> at the end of the day. The exactly. Of the day, yeah. You're and you're here to make money and you're here to return shareholder value and you're here to do the right thing. All, all of the principles of a business, right? Yes. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Look, I, I want, there's one other business I do want to talk about. And I think yeah. it's, it's important. We talk about the girl ventures, right? Yeah. Tell me about, that and how that came about and how that began. It's obviously important to you because um, because you 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 see parts of that that in 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 you yeah. know in in Bloom Farms right. It just it it continues to be with you. So tell us about that. You know that's actually a really um, you know Vern you kind of hit on something here because this is okay a, every like, once in a while I do that yeah yeah there's a, <laughs> there's a there's a, a personal story here that I'm not even sure was happening at the time it was happening but in retrospect it's very clear so okay. you know my um, graduating from college my my best friend and business who became my business partner Allison Agley Allison Photo um, we. Uh, we started a, um, one of our startups was um, a company called Treat It. And it was a, um, we were using online technology to organize um, medical records really, really early on um, in, techno in, in the space. And we needed an entity to anchor things around, right? It, Girl Ventures was never at the time intended to be a public facing entity, nor was it geared to be a female, um, you know, it, it wasn't, we never intended it to support female businesses. We literally just looked for a name we could own that would become the foundation of an LLC that ran a business. I mean, it was that simple. But what happened on that treated journey was really spectacular. And we were really, you know, we were, you know, 20 something year old women that were out raising money inside big banks with, with you know, in, with big fish. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't ever like to say this and I don't play this card. That's why this is kind of a sensitive thing to talk about, but we were two, we were two women mm -hmm. raising money alongside men, our own age, mm -hmm. raising money for slightly different things. And when I look back now on it, we would have had infinitely more success if there was a man in the business, because that's how the world worked then. Yeah. I even remember like sitting in a bank, a big bank in New York and you know, we had already secured money from a couple of like incredibly n noteworthy um, high net worth individuals and another investment fund. And, you know, a guy that was in his 50s looked at across the table and said, you know, Sally, this is a spectacular business you guys are building. So, you know, when I when when my partner and I left that meeting, I mean, I felt I mean, I felt about an inch big. I was like, I can't I, I couldn't imagine that all he saw in me and in us was someone that would spend five million dollars on shoes. And I think that, you know, what happened after that moment also shaped a lot of what happened with Girl Ventures and a lot of how I've looked at at cannabis and how, you know, diversity, not just diversity in um, you know, in in diversity in thought, but mm -hmm. diversity in how you make up your organization and who you put around the table.
And I remember thinking like the room of people that we spoke to that day, it was all men and not a single woman was in the, in that meeting. And I thought to myself, what would have been different if there was a woman in that meeting? What would have been different if there had been an entrepreneur in that meeting? What would there, what would have been different if there was a person of color in that meeting? But that none of those, none of those were represented. And I really, you know, when I looked at everything we've done with Girl Ventures going forward, it wasn't just about, I mean, Girl Ventures ended up becoming, um, you know, we were, we had some successful exit, exits. Allison and I took our personal exit money. We put it into Girl Ventures and we decided that we were going to use mm-hmm. some money that we had from, from proceeds and, and successes and successful exits to give people a leg up. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, more importantly, we were going to work to take our blinders off in ways that we thought we may have had blinders without knowing it and look at business and look at people and look at opportunity and look at entrepreneurism in a different light. And initially, we started by supporting um, women in business. And then it evolved into being, um, you know, we've got some investments in LB, you know, kind of uh, God, I always get the acronym wrong, so you're going to have to forgive me. LGBTQ, and it's ever evolving, right? Because it is. And, and, and then, you know what? I couldn't. It's only because I'm dyslexic, by the way. Also, I mean, if I write it down, I'm fine. But don't ask me to recall it, and that, that works with my own name as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, it also even it it, it 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 in ways that I wasn't able to do things with just with Girl Ventures and the money we had. It's absolutely shaped the way that I looked at who I hired, how I hired them, how I groom them, the opportunities I give them. Many of the people that we work with, um, you know, in, in, in other businesses and then in Bloom Farms, many of them, you know, they didn't necessarily go to college. They don't have like big prestigious degrees, but they have grit, they have determination, they have raw talent, they have conviction, they have ability, they're willing to grow. Um, and I just, I think that, I think that you have to look beyond just, that moment and see the potential in every human. And I oh, think absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, you do. And and you guys and and I mean you're leaving a legacy of doing that. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I've um, also I've always wanted to go back and thank that guy, right? Yeah. I have. I always wanted to go back and thank him because like everyone has to have that moment where they realize, you know, you're no different than anybody else. And you've got to have that one moment where someone until someone makes you feel an inch big for absolutely mm-hmm. no reason, you can never understand how someone else, someone else feels. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to walk in someone's shoes uh, totally. And hey, that's a, that's a really really important uh, story for the next segment that we're going to have here uh, with Sally Nichols, the president of Bloom Farms. I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits, which is fueled by Produce Global. People Solutions. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. 
This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The Plant Profits are back to lead the pursuit of the promised land of plant profit. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits. And my guest today has been awesome. She's got an amazing story. Sally Nichols. She is the president of Bloom Farms. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really getting... Um, getting into a story and just having a conversation about something that's really dear to Sally and to myself. Um, it's, it's, it's really about uh, equity, equality, uh, diversity, um, all the things that's important. And that that's been uh, uh, the, the story, the, uh, the, the whole landscape has been really enlightened and heightened over the last couple of years. And, it's really a good thing uh, to recognize these differences and, and you've carried that into your, you know, into bloom forms and what you guys do there. And, and really what got you into cannabis? Cause you were an investor in cannabis, you know, but you made a decision yeah. to work at bloom forms, right. To be, make that part of what you do on a daily basis. And, and you're, you're invested in the industry. But tell us about that. Well, the first decision, the, the first decision I made was to was was actually to pivot into cannabis. I mean, it okay. was still wildly federally illegal, right? I mean, so right. 1996, Prop 64, um, and and you know, medical marijuana shops are allowed to open in California. And right. you know, at that time, you know, it was, you know, look at cannabis is the culture of California and California is the culture of cannabis, right? So it was everywhere when I went to USC, it was mm -hmm. everywhere in college. I mean, it was everywhere in California. And I always looked at it, you know, as a recreational avenue, you know, I never really thought about the medical piece, but, you know, medical marijuana showed up and I really, at first I thought, oh my God, this is such a boondoggle. I can't believe we're going to be able to, you know, you know, enjoy cannabis and say that, oh, it's, you know, it's because I'm feeling tense today. But you know what? Like, I really, you know, my, my, my conversion into a believer was pretty damn quick. Right? Okay. Um, my conversion into believing that this is not, I mean, this is, this is medicine. This is, um, this is a plant medicinal and it's a plant medicinal in its whole complete package right yeah you know yeah. and and we were so my uncle has parkinson's and and I, you know i was i was doing some some work with a, a parkinson's organization and really saw people starting to use cannabis for parkinson's and and yeah. the way that it not only um helped with symptoms but but alleviate stress and whatever better quality of life and i started thinking okay this is real fast forward 2014 my business partner allison the girl ventures business partner was right. living, living in colorado as an architect and she's like hey sally you know it looks like colorado is going to legalize um recreational marijuana before 
California, we should look at some businesses here and invest. And I was like, okay, Allison, that's like a bridge too far. Like, I don't, I don't know what that world looks like. It's federally illegal. Like what happens if we, if we invest and we get caught and people close down our banks and, you know, and, 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 and we go to jail and there are just so many uncertainties, but, you know, I went out to visit her and I started looking at the movement that was going on there. I'm like, this is just, this is too big to ignore. This is too monumental. And this goes back to the moment where I was like, this is a cultural, social, economic movement. Yeah. And I wanted in immediately. I wanted in not because I sat there going like, I'm going to make tons of money. And this is like a big opportunity to blah, blah, blah. No, it wasn't about that. It was about, um, it was about, you know, an aspect of, of, of global cultural change that was starting. And I wanted to be a part of it. I thought it was time. It was time. You were right. It, it, It was time. So tell, tell us about Bloom Farms. Tell, yeah. us, tell, tell, us, tell us about what you guys do there and what you're trying to get accomplished. What's the vision there? So uh, I made a couple of cannabis investments first um, okay. in Colorado. Then I pivoted to California, which obviously is you know near and dear to me. And I met Mike Ray from Bloom Farms. Um, this, I guess, was back in 2015. And he showed me the first version of his of his vape pen, right? And it was called yeah. the Highlighter Vape Pen. And he had three different three different strains. He had daytime, nighttime, anytime. Mm-hmm. And automatically I was like, okay, this is the beginning of a brand. And ultimately with K-Swiss, we were brand people. And sure. the thing that we did on mm-hmm. the high tech side, it was about brand. It was about lifestyle change, a consumer promise, you know, and, 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 and kind of shifting people's perspectives about whatever it is you do. With Bloom Farms, it was really about shaping people's perspectives about cannabis. Here's a strain you can use during the day. This is an uplifting experience. Mm-hmm. Here's one you can use at night to chill out and go to sleep. And here's one you can just use all the time. And the, and the thinking behind Mike's approach to, to cannabis was that cannabis is part of a healthy, active, highly productive lifestyle. Mm-hmm. This is not, we are not about being stoners. We are not about sitting on the couch. We are not about opting out. We are all about opting in and participating in living a super vibrant life. And I was like, that is a brand and a message that I believe in and it resonates with me. So the first investment started um, really after seeing back in 2015, 16, three different vape pens, daytime, nighttime, anytime. And from there, it really quickly, right? Okay. And this goes back to like coming from a startup world, but sitting inside K-Swiss and seeing like, you know, understanding how a big business worked. And, you know, we were approaching, um, approaching, uh, medical recreation in 2018, right? So 2016 and 17, I'm in there learning the business. You know, we are building a distribution facility that is hiding in plain sight. It's still illegal. It is absolutely hiding in plain sight. It looked like an art gallery on the outside and on the inside, we were moving weed and we were allowed mm-hmm. to, we weren't doing anything wrong, except it wasn't a regulated market yet, mm-hmm. right? We were moving in that direction. Um, we were we were selling products into dispensaries, out of the back of cars. We were literally hiding in, in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to think to myself, like, we want to know where we're selling these products. We want to know who's buying, why they're buying, how often they're buying, and what they're using it for. We want to know what strains sell the best, what price points are good. We want to start aggregating that data because we want to make a better product and we want to know our consumer. So the very first thing I did is, is, is as, as a Bloom Farms executive was build out distribution. Okay. I didn't just build out distribution to move product, right? I built, I built out a digital infrastructure that tracked every single product we made and we created. 
So we knew where everything was at any given time. We, there was no diversion going on to mm -hmm. you know, the illicit market. Nobun was kind of like, you know, uh, you know, selling things outside of, of, of the channel, right? And we were learning about our business. We were learning what people buy in Southern California versus Northern California. Mm -hmm. And it was really all about creating, creating a big business metric inside a startup. And so that was the first, the first kind of big effort inside Bloom Farms. And it was monumental. I mean, we couldn't find a software company to work with us because we were technically, um, we were tracking illegal product well, and yeah. technically money laundering, right? I mean, to be tracking our finances and our accounting and our inventory and our product on a cloud-based system was, was, was not possible. I mean, no company would let us do that um, openly. So, you know, we really had to be, you know, innovative in how we use technology. This is where that technology background comes in, the startup background with software and hardware um, systems, being able to put quietly, put pieces together mm -hmm. to create a full infrastructure to run, you know, a federally legal startup business in broad daylight, right? But doing mm -hmm. it the right way. So, um, so that's how I started and then really learned all different aspects of the business and it was changing so fast. And then I found sure. like, you know, this kind of um, CPG brand type experience was increasingly valuable as we were working with real retailers and creating sales strategies and et cetera. But, you know, what we all underestimated and most importantly, what California underestimated is the damage with the absence of enforcement, right? So here you've created a legal business, a legal track. 2018 Recreation comes in and you've now created a legal business, but you have the legal market with exorbitant tax rates and all kinds of business expenses and compliance just to get your licenses running alongside the illicit businesses that have never been addressed, right? So, so now we are in a highly, highly competitive market. Yes, We're you are. Competing with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we're competing with institutional legacy growers. Now, by the way, like I, I, I have a love affair with the legacy grower. So that's also another kind of conflict here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, every single day I'm doing legally what people sit in jail for. Mm -hmm. and I have, I have, a, I have a personal conflict with that, mm -hmm. but I also have a love affair with with what's been going on in Humboldt County mm -hmm. for generations. I have a love affair with people that have like dug in deep and know this plant and committed to it, not only for medicinal purposes, but for economic purposes, right? I have a love affair with people that started this fight generations ago and have enabled us to bring it to the surface and, and, and actually I think change consciousness overall. So there's been this dichotomy, right? I'm building this brand, we're doing this legal thing and we're, we're fighting against an illicit market. And as much as I like hate that I have to fight against their prices because I can't compete. Right. Um, there is a part of me, not all the illicit market, not all of, 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 of what goes on in, in Los Angeles and California, but there's a part of me that has real, you know, real respect well, I think those companies that at the end of the day that have that real respect yeah. are going to be the most successful because they're going to be the most authentic. Yeah. And you really need to understand that and have respect for that, that industry because you're standing on their shoulders. Uh, Absolutely. So yeah. like, one of the things that we did at Bloom Farm, we turned around and we said, okay, like when legalization was happening, we're like, okay, what's going to happen 
to the small the small farmer who's been yeah. doing this forever who doesn't have a legal team who doesn't have a clear path towards you know for, towards licensing like what do you how do you how do you help how do you help those people that want to track towards legality um, move in that direction and you know ultimately what we did is just really focused on you know um, uh, you know with our supply chain focused on you know small farmers and Humboldt County um, you know Humboldt Humboldt County genetics and, and and growers and we did our part to not only buy the products they were creating and support their ecosystem but then turn around and take proceeds from the product that we sell and give back to the community. Let's so talk we, about that. I want to go to the one-on-one program. Um, unbelievable. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think we ever, ever knew what it was going to become because it started, mm-hmm. totally just started with, we got to do the right thing, right? Yeah. For every, I mean, first of all, agriculture itself, uh, cannabis is an agricultural business and agricultural communities across this country suffer. Right. And many agriculture. Yeah. I mean, you have people farming that can't feed themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's 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 a horrible situation. So people are like, why did you guys do a one? Why did you what's the connection between meals and weed? Like how yeah. did you make that connection? And it was pretty simple. It was like, you know, Mike grew up in Calaveras County. And there were a lot of like kind of old school, old school growers in California and Calaveras County and farmers. And they were sub they were they were um you know, they were with mm-hmm. cannabis for mm-hmm. me, right? I mean, they were farmers that couldn't necessarily afford to feed themselves. And, you know, and we found that this was endemic across the industry. So pretty early on, we decided that like for every product anybody buys from Bloom Farms, any product, whether it's a cannabis product or a battery, it doesn't really matter, a CBD product, any product someone buys from Bloom Farms, we're donating a meal to a food insecure family. I I, I love that. And Sally, what a great, place for us to conclude our conversation today with something like that. Yeah. I mean, that is really the the spirit. This is what I love about cannabis is that people like you are authentic. You're in it for all the right reasons. You care about where it came from and you care about where it's going yeah. and, and you're not going to leave those folks behind. And I really love that. And, and you great story. You're an awesome guest. Really, Thanks, thank Mark. you for being here. And thank you for being a part of our, our conversation. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. And my guest today, the president of Bloom, Bloom Farms, Sally Nichols. Sally, great time. Appreciate everything. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you all for joining us. You can download episodes of Plant profits by going to cannabisradio.com or you wherever you get your podcasts man you know apple spotify iheart all the major portals and then protus global uh, and protus global fuels uh plant profits and uh you can find us on all social networks all of them we're everywhere linkedin instagram facebook twitter you name it we're there we're building companies and changing lives at Protus Global. Check us out at protisglobal.com. And until next time, cheers. Thank you.
the opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.